but I love the Word of God. And the thing that I have found, I'm about to pray here in just a moment, but the thing that I have found is that it's like you, you see different groups of people and they love certain aspects of the Word of God, but other parts of the Word that don't fit their um, pet doctrines, their traditions of men, what makes them comfortable, God in a box, the way they have things, when it, when it doesn't fit that, they don't like that that part of the word of god and when you talk about use those scriptures they'll find a way to come against it it seems like they're trying to come against you but you can tell that they don't really have a problem with you they have a problem with the word of god i've ran into that a lot and so that's it's interesting to me to see that so tonight this word i believe you guys river of life you'll you'll love this word tonight but there's people out there that this it won't fit into their little little bitty box they've got god they think they got god it won't fit into their box and they'll have a major problem with it well lord we thank you for your word we bless you and lord we love your word and we ask you tonight that you will come upon me and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken under a mighty anointing Lord, I pray that even now the Holy Spirit will begin to move upon everyone that's going to be hearing this. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit will help us to lock in and to get focused. And Lord, to tune in our minds and our hearts and cause us to be good fertile soil for the word of God and that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. Your seeds of truth. They will go out like the parable of the seed and the sower sown in a good fertile soil that's prepared by the Holy Spirit and then watered by the Holy Spirit and cultivated by the Holy Spirit. That the word of God will take root in us and spring up and begin to bear eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we thank you for the awesome power of the word of God tonight. And Lord, I pray that everything will be accomplished in and through this sermon that your will to be done. And we submit everything unto you. We bind up anything and everything of the enemy that would try to hinder or distract or oppress. In any way, the word of God, we command to be bound. Y'all agree with me. We bind it now in the name of Jesus. And we command it to back off and go right now. That your angels clear all that away. And Lord, let everything be accomplished in and through this. That your will to be done in Jesus' name. How many knows that sometimes there's people out there that are under the influence of spiritual things that are not of Christ's kingdom but they really believe that it is and what I mean by that in particular is a religious spirit there's people out there that have a religious spirit about them it's critical and they think that that's discernment and it's the furthest thing from discernment that there is it's actually a demonic thing you don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, criticism. It's demonic, and it, there's an unrighteous judgment. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were very religious people. They had scripture memorized, but hear what I'm saying. They were the greatest enemies of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his ministry by far than anything else that came against him. And the whole time 
that they wanted to kill Jesus. They hated him. They hated everything he was doing. They were trying to turn as many people against him as they could. The whole time, they believed with every fiber of their being that they were serving God. You're talking about great deception. And it's like that same ancient spirit of the Pharisees is still at work today in that the religious crowd, the religious community that are opposed to the move of God, okay? So y'all tune in tonight and try to give me your best ear. I'm talking about revival, glory, fire tonight, all right? And it's interesting because the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about this heritage, these roots that we've tapped into. And last week we dealt with Pentecost. And this week we're dealing with revival. All right? And so Matthew 12, 32, the Bible says this, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. So I want you to think about something tonight as we're dealing with glory, we're dealing with revival fire. You know, last week was more Pentecost, this week more about revival. People, people by and large have kind of moved on from the glory, from revival. And that's really grieved me. But I'm going to ask this question. I want you to think about it. How many people would say that there maybe was a time in your life where you were negative and critical and judgmental about the Holy Spirit, about the gifts, about tongues, about revival, the move of God, the move of the Holy Spirit? And people don't realize it, but that is actually a serious sin. And if they've never confessed that before God, that can be a great hindrance in their walk with God. I've seen a lot of times where God's moving real powerful, but there are certain people the Holy Spirit won't touch and just pass over and touch others all around them. But have you been negative about the Holy Spirit? Have you been critical and negative about tongues, about the gifts? I would advise people to ask God's forgiveness for that sin. It may be something that's blocking you from great revival in your life and even in your family. And I started thinking about it as I was preparing this sermon, those that have gone on before us. I think about Azusa Street. I think about those that have paid such a price for us to have Pentecost today. People don't realize it, but what the persecution of the early moves of Pentecost was back around 1905 when you had William Seymour and you had that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Azusa. But the people that were baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire, they were so anointed and they were so used of the Lord and the glory of God was so strong. But you have to understand that at that time, they were also very persecuted. Some of them had a hard time uh, keeping a job or getting a job because of the level of persecution that they had to endure. It was serious. It affected even their livelihood. And by and large, the body of Christ was treating them like some kind of second-class citizen. But they paid a price in those early days of Pentecost for us to be able to have what we have today. And every great uh, restoration that has come has come by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And at that time, you have to understand that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, tongues, um, had been pretty much done away with. But during Azusa Street, 
God began to pour out his spirit and restore back tongues to the body of Christ and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then you saw after that, you saw the great revivals of the 40s and the 50s where God began to restore back healing ministry and deliverance and the, and the power of God in that way. And the Holy Spirit is continually being poured out and restoring back what has been lost. And I know that River of Life feels the same way that I do. We want biblical book of Acts Christianity. And I wanted to take time during this sermon to just kind of honor those that have gone on before us because people that have paid such a dear price. I think about William Seymour and what he went through. When he moved here after, you know, sitting under Charles Parham in Houston and moved to California, the very first place he was at and he spoke on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues, they ran him off. He ends up in a little house on Bonnie Bray Street with a handful of people and he's praying like five to seven hours a day for revival. But they endured that persecution. They persevered. And I think about during the days of the 40s and 50s, many people don't know this, but the, the early pioneers of the healing ministry were actually put in jail for a time and they stood before a judge, look this up, and they were being accused of practicing medicine without a license. They had to endure the persecution for us to have what we have today. They actually had a sealed courtroom and nobody knows for sure what happened but the judge was demanding that they prove to him that they were not practicing medicine without a license but it was God Almighty doing this. God had to do something because the judge was satisfied. But a true move of God that brings lasting biblical fruit. I think about even tonight the deep intercession, the deep calling unto deep. You can hear the groans, the travail of intercession. Apostolic preaching and deep repentance of sin. Intercessors. This will give birth eventually to a great influx of souls as God refreshes and purifies his people. But we've got to have things in place to be ready when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so, some things that God laid on my heart to talk about tonight. Again, last week is that the Lord really spoke to me about our heritage, our roots, to stay plugged in, to stay locked in to our heritage that God has, okay? Last week was more about Pentecost, but I couldn't help but think about, you know, Brother John Davis and about revival and the covering and the heritage that we have here connected to revival. And the Bible says to not resist, quench, or grieve the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do, and greater works than these, because I go to the Father. And I remember Steve Hill preached such an awesome message back there in Brownsville about the whole, uh, you know, blind leading the blind, white cane religion. Some of you remember those days. But one of the things he talked about was G. Campbell Morgan, who was a great Bible scholar. But G. Campbell Morgan during his day, here's the interesting thing. I want you to hear some of this tonight because I'm going to close this out with dealing with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But G. Campbell Morgan was mightily touched by God during the Welsh Revival. 
And he was, he was a great biblical scholar. He had influence. But when the Holy Spirit began to move really mightily at Azusa Street, it was different than what he was used to. In particular, the tongues. And G. Campbell Morgan, all the way over from England area, G. Campbell Morgan, you know, is, is tapping his cane and wearing his glasses, the blind leading the blind. Even though he was a religious biblical scholar with a great influence, he points his finger at Azusa, a place he never even went to. And he told people that's the last vomit of Satan. Stay away from it. And the question was asked, how could somebody, how could a man of God miss God that, poor, that badly? But the truth of the matter is, it seems like down through history, many times people have. R.A. Torrey, another great Bible scholar, said Azusa Street was insanities worthy of a madhouse. Something, what I talked about at the beginning of this sermon, something about a religious spirit that causes people to miss moves of God they're blinded to it. They can't see it. They may be great men of the word of God, but they don't know the spirit of God. We have to be careful that we're not trying to judge the things of the spirit with just a human carnal mind because God is bigger than that. You have to discern things by the spirit of God. And this comes from a cultivated relationship with the Lord and a developed inner man. And what I talked about at the beginning of this sermon was that many times people are critical and judgmental of moves of God, but they themselves, they have never developed their inner man to discern what's of God and what's not. They're only judging things out of their own human intellect. In times past, as I look through history, and I'll get to the word of God here in a moment about each one of these. I felt led to talk about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get to that. But I, when I look through history at different revivals. You guys are familiar with Cane Ridge. We talked about that revival. But those that were there during the days of Cane Ridge. Said that it was like the Holy Spirit would fall. And it was, the way it was described was it looked like if somebody opened a battery of guns on people because in, in great numbers, people would just collapse under the power of God. People were out under the power and it was as though they were unconscious. But at times, after a period of time, sometimes it'd be several hours, somebody might come to for a few moments and you could hear them and they'd be saying something like, Jesus, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me. And then they'd go back unconscious. But when they came out of that time of having that encounter with the Lord, they were transformed. People were getting up transformed. They had had some kind of an encounter with Jesus. And it, that reminds me of what happened to the Apostle Paul. You know, he's struck to the ground and he has an encounter with the Lord and he gets up different. Cain Ridge, they said that people would shake violently under the power of God. In Finney's meetings, Charles Finney, mid-1800 time frame, the second great awakening, Charles Finney would be preaching, and the power of God was so strong, he had an intercessor named Brother Nash who would go before him into a city and begin to really pray. Brother Nash would get under the weight of the burden of that region, and he would travail. Finney would come in behind him 
And they said about Finney that he would preach and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so strong in his meetings that people sometimes would be sitting in a chair and just fall out of the chair in a fetal position. And they were under such a conviction of the Holy Spirit. You got to understand, these are heathen. And some of these men were rough individuals. They were people that frequented bars. They were people that were just rough um, ranch hands and, and people that, that, you know, were farmers. And this was definitely out of character for them to be in a fetal position on the ground. And Finney had to have people that were like ushers that would go to him and pick them up and bring them down to the altar. And he went from place to place ministering like this, but, but he would have to lead them through individually to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the power of God was so strong when he was preaching that people were gripped with the fear of God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. In Azusa Street, you remember me talking about different, you know, aspects of what was going on at Azusa. Azusa is one of my favorite revivals, but Azusa Street, there was a couple times that the fire department was called because they saw fire over the church and fire trucks would come, and, and, but yet it wasn't even a natural thing. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the glory that was on top of that building. People that were in Azusa, I remember Tommy Welchel wrote a, a book about they told me their stories. He said there was a glory cloud in Azusa that was on the ground and people began to sing in tongues and worship and that cloud would just fill the place. But in the glory of the Lord, people had, there was major miracles that broke out at Azusa. But in Azusa Street, people could hear Sometimes the groaning and travailing of deep intercession into the night. And the power of God was so strong that even people coming in the doors were hit by the power and would just form like a pile of people right there. Also, six blocks away or so, I believe it was six blocks, there was a train station. There were times the power of God was so strong that people would be hit by the power at the train station. As a matter of fact, there was people that asked direction to the Azusa Street Revival coming off the train. And sometimes they were told, don't worry about it. You'll find it because you'll feel it. During the first great awakening, Wesley and Whitfield, you guys remember this. We've talked about it. Jonathan Edwards, his church, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Revival breaks out. The Wesley brothers come over here. And John Wesley, a great preacher. Whitfield also. But they saw manifestations during their preaching where people would scream and then just collapse under the power of God. Jonathan Edwards said that as he preached, people began to hold on to the pillars and pews in front of them, white-knuckling them and weeping and wailing and heavy breathing to the point that Edwards had to tell them to be quiet so that he could be heard. <laughs> John Wesley recognized falling to the ground as obvious manifestation from God and records many such instances in his ministry. As a matter of fact, George Whitfield criticized Wesley publicly for people collapsing in his meetings until it started happening in his meetings. <laughs> that tends to change your opinion, doesn't it? Jonathan Edwards, again, described the Holy Spirit's activity in the first great awakening. And I'm just going to read his words because, you know, they, they spoke a little bit differently than we do now. But 
Jonathan Edwards says, when God did, as it were, suddenly open their eyes, let into their minds a sense of the greatness of his grace, the fullness of Christ, and his readiness to save them, their joyful surprise had caused their hearts, as it were, to leap, so that they had been ready to break forth into laughter. So even in the first great awakening, people were laughing in the spirit. Tears also, at the same time, issuing like a flood, weeping uncontrollably, loud weeping. It was a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries. He's talking about somebody shouting or screaming, fainting as people collapsing under the power, convulsions as people shaking under the power, and such the like, both with distress and with admiration and joy. Many remaining for perhaps a whole 24 hours motionless with their senses locked up. That's like a trance in the Holy Spirit. But in the, same mean, or in the meantime, under a strong imagination as though they went to heaven and had vision of glorious and delightful objects. So they were being caught up, as it were, having some kind of a heavenly encounter. Duncan Campbell describes the Hebridean revival as God coming down. You ought to look Duncan Campbell up on YouTube and listen to him talk about revival. But he said God came down in the Hebrides. He said the presence of the Lord was so strong that churches would fill up with sinners seeking God. I remember reading different accounts about the Hebridean revival. This was a real phenomenal move of God. Like almost every historic move of God, the Hebridean revival was birthed with just a couple people. There were two older ladies that, that were just really praying in intercession, deep intercession. They saw how society was backslidden. They saw how people were out of church. And they saw all around them how it seemed like people had grown so cold to the things of God. And they began to really press into God in prayer, intercession. And they told the local pastor that he really needed to start praying for revival. And so the pastor invited some of his men to meet with him in a barn and they would begin to pray. And there was around a dozen of them and they began to really pray. And they said it as they, they pressed into God, it seemed so dry. How I many know sometimes it's difficult at first? And they felt like they were really coming up against like a brass heaven. But one of the men one night began to meditate on the psalm that says, you know, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Talking about going up into God's presence. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanities nor sworn deceitfully. And he began to ask, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And as he began to pray that, others in there began to also sense the conviction. Here they were praying for revival in their region, but revival had to begin in them. And so they began to confess their sin and say, Lord, forgive us for whatever it is. And they began to really spend some time deeply repenting of things in their life and making sure everything was like it's supposed to be. And as they did, he said the presence of God began to fill that barn in an awesome way. As it just about in every revival that has happened historically, it was like a smaller group of people began to pray and began to fast and began to really deeply repent of things in them. 
and they began to press into God for revival. God heard their prayers and came down. And those two precious intercessors, they sent for Duncan Campbell in faith because they heard from God that he was to come. And revival hadn't even really broken out yet. And Duncan Campbell said, I'm busy. I have an itinerant ministry. I'm traveling. I can't come. And those older women sent message back to him and said, the Lord said you're coming. So you're coming. <laughs> you don't mess with these old intercessors. They know God. And so Duncan Campbell felt, you know, he was to come. When he came to the Isle of Hebrides, the first church he ministered at, it was dead and dry. Again, a lot of times you have to press in. And it seemed really dry. But after the meeting, remember, those men had been in the barn praying. And after that meeting, Duncan Campbell was standing outside and he was thinking to himself, why to come? You know, they sent me to come and I preach here and it's just kind of dead. And one of the elders there said, don't worry, Brother Campbell. The Holy Spirit is brooding. And as he said those words, people were descending the hill going home and the Holy Spirit fell. <laughs> if I remember the story correctly, they began to come back to the church. There were stories in Hebrides where the Holy Spirit was so strong that people were in bars trying to drink and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so strong they would flee the bars. The Holy Spirit was convicting so strong on the Isle of Hebrides that people would be in dance halls and they would flee from there because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There was an account that Duncan Campbell talked about where the Holy Spirit fell and people were so gripped with the fear of God and the conviction that they didn't know what to do and so they knew that I believe it was the sheriff but somebody there that was a law enforcement they knew that he was a religious man and so they made for the jail and they didn't know what to do so they all get there and this this uh, sheriff or whoever he was sends for Duncan Campbell Duncan Campbell comes and there was such a presence of God such a conviction these people knelt down and really repented and gave their life to the Lord and Duncan Campbell said that the the work of the Holy Spirit was so powerful in these men he said that to this day those men that got saved in the jail he said when I heard him talking about this story on the YouTube he said that they're still serving the Lord today he said that some of them went into the ministry and that's how they came to know the Lord was in the, in the fires of revival. Duncan Campbell said that one account in Hebrides was in the middle of the night. They sent for him. If I remember the story correctly, you're looking at two or three in the morning. And what happened was the Holy Spirit began to fall in this community. And they were awakened in the middle of the night. And they were so gripped with the fear of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they didn't even know what to do and so they were coming out of their house and they just began to go toward the church and they filled up the church at like two or three in the morning and so they send to Duncan Campbell he, he comes and he said the Holy Spirit was so powerful in that church that people that did not know the Lord were weeping and wailing some of them were falling out of their pews others were coming down to the podium and they were so under the power of God and it was like they were beating their fists on the ground, just crying out, asking God to forgive them. And that was the thing that I've seen throughout history in revivals, 
is that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is so strong. People are weeping and wailing, pounding the floor, repenting. And after they get done repenting, and the Holy Spirit, you know, leads them to a place of being cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus, then it was like the polar opposite. They went from the most anguish, deep sorrow uh, type of weeping to laughing uncontrollably in the greatest joy, unspeakable and full of glory because they truly were born of God and they knew that their sins were forgiven. And they knew that God had saved them. And that, that was all through these revivals. I would say that that's the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the most consistent through every revival is whether people fall, shake, scream, whatever happens, it seems like the, the overwhelming conviction of the Holy Spirit leads them to deep repentance and then unspeakable joy on the other side of it. Uh, but I remember at Brownsville, I went many times, the sounds of weeping and wailing and deep intercession, praying in the Spirit, were common at Brownsville. Falling, shaking, crying, laughing. I remember the days at Brownsville when, when Steve Hill would give an altar call and it would take, it would take a very, very arrogant, hard-hearted individual to not be able to go down there and get saved. It would t because the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the conviction was so intense during those altar calls. And I remember you could just feel it was like the Holy Spirit was pulling people. It felt like some kind of a vacuum. Even if you were saved, because I went there many times, I felt like I need to go get saved again. And then I go back, I need to go get saved again. I mean, the conviction was so strong, you felt drawn, you felt pulled down there to repent. But on the other side of that, people you would see those come down I, I remember being there and seeing people running down by the hundreds and you could tell that some of these people had just come off the street i mean you could tell you could tell that, that they the way they were dressed and the way they looked that these were people that had probably never been to church a day in their life and they're running i'm sitting there watching them run down to the altar by the hundreds night after night repenting and then you see them their lives are cleaned up and later on you see them you come back and they're the ones dancing and singing and praising god and and really just going after god you see them in the the baptismal uh weeping and giving their testimony stories of not only them getting saved but them leading other people in their family bringing them to the revival it's awesome but as i opened up with the warning about this this is our heritage. This is our roots in River of Life. This was something Steve Hill, its hand was on, remember? We all know this. And this was like birth in the fires of revival. But in the day that we're living, people have gotten away from it. But I'm telling you that God is about to move again in America. And he's about to move again in River of Life. And he's about to move again in this region. I really believe that. And when that happens, the lost are going to be swept in. Many times in history, God will start things in humble surroundings because of human pride 
See, man thinks that, that God will certainly come to these great lavish cathedrals and all this. And, but Jesus came in the most humble places, in a manger. And I remember that was the one thing that stuck out to me the most at Azusa was that God would come to this little house on Bonnie Bray Street with a handful of people in a time when the Jim Crow laws were in place. And these were people that were African American. God came in the most humble of circumstances. And then when William Seymour, they had to get out of where they were and get a bigger place, they end up getting that mission but they had to go in there and sweep up all the the poo and all the things that were in there because it was used as like a stable and it was just so such humble you ought to look at the pictures i mean the the pews that people sat on were you know two befores that were nailed to wooden crates i mean you can forget about anything of comfort or anything of beauty we're not talking about some, you know, beautiful stone, stained glass, windows facility here. But yet at Azusa, because the glory came, people came from literally from other nations at a time when there wasn't this planes, trains, and automobiles, so to speak, type of time frame. I mean, this was people coming when it was difficult to travel. And they came all the way to Azusa. And literally, as they, people were there and were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they were powerfully touched by God. They were sent out to the nations of the earth. As many of them went as missionaries because when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, as they spoke in tongues, some of them, their dialect as they spoke in tongues would sound like maybe Chinese or it would sound like a Hispanic or something. And they would feel that that was a sign of where they were to go. And so it was like the Lord was releasing all these missionaries. And I'll tell you, one well-known missionary that came out of the Azusa Street Revival was John G. Lake. How many of you guys have heard of him? Went to Africa, saw great healings and miracles in Africa. Ended up in, I believe, Spokane, Washington, the healing rooms there. But it was the same all over these revivals of, of Azusa and that God just sent them out and revivals were, were exploding all over the world through them. Every spirit-filled Pentecostal move of God today can be traced back to Azusa. All right, I just want to close out with this. Some of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, well, why do people fall? Well, not everybody falls. God's not going to touch everybody. I love everybody, and I've been doing this for a long time. I've been in a lot of places. The people that God will go out of his way to touch are people that are humble and hungry. But God opposes the proud. I've seen people just stand there and they don't want God to touch them and God obliges that. But someone said, well, why do people fall? Because they can't stand. It's, it's not rocket science. I mean, I've prayed for people, and they've tried to stand. It was kind of funny sometimes to see people do that, you know, that you can tell they're really trying to end down the... But I'll tell a quick story about that. It was funny. So I was praying for people one time in this meeting with young people, and I could tell because 
this group of people is very eclectic. So they, they were every race and every type of background you could imagine. I mean, you had people of every type of ethnicity and every type of, but maybe they were Baptist or maybe they had never been to church in their life and this person grew up Pentecostal, this person grew up Catholic or whatever. It was across the board. So I never knew when I was praying for people how people were going to respond. I just prayed with people. But, but I'll tell you what, you get a group of young people that, that the Lord touches them they get so on fire for God. And I saw these young people get so hungry and on fire for God. And they saw with their eyes in these meetings, they saw Book of Acts. They saw people literally get delivered from demons. They saw people healed, physically healed of things. People baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. But I remember some of the, the kind of the funnier stories, but just praying for people. And I noticed as I was going through and praying for people, that there was an individual that kept going the opposite place. Wherever I would go, they would go to the opposite place of the room. So if I was here, I would see him move way over there. And so as the night went on, I guess they started figuring out that God was just moving. But I could tell that they, they were scared or something. And so, or maybe they were skeptical. Yeah, people are. And so when I prayed with them, I remember just standing like this and just simply just put my finger like this on them, and they, they went down really hard. But this one girl, she, she was, uh, when I came out to pray with her, she's like, I'm, well, I'm not going to fall. And I'm thinking, well, you may not. That's fine. I don't really care if you. See, my, my attitude is it's not about anything like that. It's about are you going to, you know, change and get more like Jesus. And some people fall, and they never change. I'm tired of that. But anyway, and so... I was like, okay, well, Lord, just whatever you have for. And, I, and all of a sudden, this girl gets thrown to the ground. It was funny because of how she was like this the whole time. You know, she was determined she wasn't going to fall. And so it was funny that she fell so hard. And then of all the people, she's the one that can't get back up. And so that night, one of the leaders had to pick her up and carry her back to this dorm or whatever. So it was pretty, pretty funny. But she was determined she wasn't going to fall that night. And down she goes, and she's the one that can't get up. But the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you some scripture here. You can look these up and study, that, study over this this week. But obviously, speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2, and then all through the word. I, it grieves me because there's people, as I mentioned last week, that, are, that have forsaken their roots. There's churches that used to be Pentecostal that now you will never hear tongues in them anymore. And that's become pretty widespread. That even the leadership, even the pastor and their children, the children don't even speak in tongues. So churches are, by and large, a lot of them are forsaking their roots. But how many knows we need tongues today? We need the power of God, man. Also, another very common manifestation is falling under the power. So Ezekiel 1.28 and 3.23, Daniel 10.9, Revelation 1.17. You remember John said, I fell as though a dead man when he saw the Lord. Uh, John 18.6, Acts chapter 9. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. He's thrown to the ground. And then number, number three, people delivered from demons even in the middle of church. And you know, Jesus saw that right in the middle of church service, demon manifests and leaves somebody. Number four, jerking, shaking, trembling. 
Daniel 10, 7, Jeremiah 23, 9, Habakkuk 3, 16, Psalm 99, 1, Psalm 114, 7. But the trembling, the shaking. You know, the power of God is described as dunamis in the Bible, where we get the word dynamite. But that's where, when the power of God is present, sometimes people will shake under the power. Number five, trances. Acts chapter 10. Remember, Peter was taken up in a trance and saw this sheet coming down with unclean, unkoshered animals. And meanwhile, the, Peter was in this trance and the Lord really spoke to him. And there was a lady named Mariah Woodworth Edder. They used to see a lot of that in her ministry. People just kind of go into a trance and come out of it really transformed. Also shrieks. People scream. This was a manifestation even under Philip's ministry in the Bible when he went to Samaria. It said that it was pretty common that people would shriek as a demon came out of them. And there can be great deliverances from demons. I remember when I was talking about some of these younger people, one of the times that somebody got delivered from a demon, there was a high-pitched scream. So shrieking, that's a manifestation as the Holy Spirit is delivering people. Number seven, groaning and moaning and wailing. Romans 8, 26. We don't always know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will pray through us. And when it, when it talks about that, it says that it's groans that are too deep for words. And so these intercessors know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is moving so deep that it's nothing that is speaking in English and sometimes it's not even speaking in tongues. It's just a groan. It's a deep wail that's coming. It's, it's intercession. And then number eight, intense weeping or laughing. See, Nehemiah 1.4, Ezekiel 10.1, Psalm 126, 5-6. Deep bowing. That was one of the ones at Cambridge. If I go back in time, I like to see that. They said that some of the people would be hit by the power of God and their bodies would just go forward and then go way back and then go forward. And they said it was an uncontrollable thing and that some of the women had long hair and it was their hair would be like a whip. I'd, I'd like to go back in time and see that. <laughs> Ezra 10.1, Psalm 35, 13 through 14. Number 10, laughing. Uh, Psalm 126, 1 through 3, Proverbs 17, 22. And then number 11, being still and solemn. That can be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 25, 5, 27, 14, 131, uh, verse 2. Number 11, being drunk in the Spirit. Acts 2, 13, Ephesians 5, 18. That was really common, especially in the days of, uh, you know, Kenneth Hagin saw that actually in his ministry, that there would be an outbreak of joy and people drunk in the spirit. But the one, I guess the ministry that's the most known for that was Rodney Howard Brown. But man, i tell you what, there is a drunkenness in the spirit. And then number 12, visions and dreams. This is really powerful. I mean, you guys would say that in River of Life that, you know, just praying, just worshiping, or maybe when you've been out in the power that for the first time in your life, you actually started seeing something. God showed you like a vision. How many have had that? You never had that before. As some of you guys, I've had people tell me about that. Acts 10, 9 through 17, Joel 2, 28. Number 13, people, can, now this is important. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit, people confessing their sins and making things right with other people that they've wronged. Acts 19, 18 through 20. 
that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit at work, that people are truly confessing, sometimes publicly confessing their sin, but they're confessing and repenting of sin, and they're even making things right with people. If they stole something, they give it back. If they you know, did something to hurt them, they go and apologize, but they really make things right. And then number 14, major healings and miracles. Matthew 12, 13. In Jesus' ministry, we saw powerful healings and miracles, powerful deliverances. So the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes things get so intense, you need discernment from the Holy Spirit. And let me warn as I close out this sermon. True discernment is not in your human intellect. None of us are that smart, even though people think they are. You're not going to figure God out. If you can figure God out, then your God is not worth worshiping. You're not going to figure him out. People put too much on their human intellect. When God the Holy Spirit moves, it's so powerful and so intense, you're going to have to discern it by the Holy Spirit and depend on the Holy Spirit to know what's of God and what's not. But the Holy Spirit will show you. But I'll give this warning. Most people, especially nowadays in America, don't have prayer lives. And so they don't have discernment. So because they don't really have discernment, or maybe they used to and they don't now, they're dull, they depend on their human intellect to try to figure things out. And that's why they miss God every time, because the enemy starts putting these negative, critical, judgmental thoughts in their mind, and they begin to go up against the very move of God. Does that make sense? So you're going to have to develop your inner man through prayer, seasons of fasting, praying in the spirit, spending time in the presence of God, meditating on the word of God. You develop your inner man. Uh, Hebrews uh, talks about that. It says, by constant use, training your inner senses to discern good from evil. You discern. But see, a lot of the people out there that claim to have discernment, they're against various moves of the Holy Spirit. They really don't have discernment. What they have is a critical spirit. They have a religious spirit. It's a counterfeit spirit. It's a spirit that's pretending. Y'all hear me. It's a spirit that's not of Christ's kingdom that is pretending. It masquerades. It pretends to be the Holy Spirit. But it's actually a demonic spirit. And that spirit of religion and criticism and unrighteous judgment operates through their human mind and their human emotions because these people have never developed their inner man to distinguish good from evil. Now they've tapped into something demonic that's actually an enemy of the Holy Spirit. And they're opposed to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, we're not going to see hardly anything without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, especially in these last days. Whew. All right, so I'm going to close with this scripture I opened with, Matthew 12, 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. So be careful. Just because you don't understand something because something is outside of your comfort zone doesn't mean it's not God. It just means maybe those people are having an experience with God you've never had. 
know, Steve Hill used to say this too. He said, you know who, you know what radical people are? He's talking about people that are really radical in their praise and all this stuff. And they're jumping up and down. They're all excited. They're running to church and all this. He said, you know what radical, the definition of spiritual radical is? Somebody closer to Jesus than you. <laughs> if y'all could get my wife, please. So here in a moment, we'll pray with people that want prayer. If people are humble and hungry, God will touch you as he's been doing. But Lord, we just close this time out. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, this heritage, this, this root system of revival. And Lord, I know the body of Christ by and large right now has really forsaken the Pentecostal roots and revival roots and, and began to move away from things that, that, that has been our heritage. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for that. But we ask you, Lord, in these latter days that you would send such revival to America. Lord, this is a time when we need revival like no other time. We look at our nation right now and there's so much sin. There's so much perversions. There's so many things that, that, that are, uh, it's obvious that it's satanic. You know, and Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the body of Christ that has gotten so lukewarm and backslid and worldly and the lack of the move of the Holy Spirit but Lord, in your mercy, we ask you to rend the heavens and come down and pour out your spirit like no other time in our nation's history. Thank you for past revivals. But Lord, we're at the time where the coming of the Lord is near and we need a great move of God. So we ask you for America, rend the heavens and come down and give us the grace, Lord, just like our spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith, to be able to endure hardships as a good soldier just to plow right through any persecution that would try to come against the move of God because it comes through many times modern-day Pharisees, but, Lord, that we're just going to plow through any type of persecution and go after you in these last days and see a harvest of souls. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.